Well, I, I was gone last week. The video didn't work at 9 o'clock. It worked at 11. I sent you a greeting that never showed, okay? But I was in Croatia and uh, sharing the gospel with a group of churches. And as a church, if you don't know, we're like completely um, enamored by the good news. And we think everyone ought to hear it at least a thousand times. And so we're active in sharing Jesus' love here at home and around the world. And so I was honored to preach there. Uh, so many highlights. One of them, though, I was preaching while you were here at a church on Sunday morning and had a, uh, a brother and sister come up to me at the end, just beaming, smiling. I'm like, yeah, my message wasn't that good, you know. But they were there the night before Saturday night. We did a, a pizza outreach. We bought out half of a pizzeria, like or rented out like the back half, and we invited all these young people to come, free pizza, uh, free drinks, and hear the American guy give a little encouraging message. And so it was really, I have to say, um, chaotic. Because what none of us knew, what I didn't know, is they couldn't like cordon off the back door. So as I'm talking, people are coming in going, weird moment, weird moment, you know. And like literally walking through as I'm talking, I'm like, hi, you know, go get your pizza. And so rather than being in one space, they were split on two sides. I'm kind of talking over here, kind of talking over there, people walking in the middle. And I'm like, Lord, I love the good news. This is crazy. And did the message, invited people to follow Jesus, you know, went to bed, woke up, preached the next morning. And this brother and sister, you think, you know, sometimes, man, was that like even helpful? And the piece of it, frankly, wasn't even all that good. Like, it, was this helpful? This brother and sister came up to me because they're like, we, they both brought, they go to two different schools, they both brought friends, and both the brother and the sister led one of their friends to faith in Jesus Saturday night in the middle of chaos. And so like, yeah, it was worth it. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. I have no faith, and you're amazing. And, and that's, that may not seem like a big deal, but if you've never been to Croatia, uh, four and a half million people, six to 7,000 believers in the whole country. Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people. And so everyone who comes to Christ matters, right? But especially in a place where the six to 7,000 largest church is about 300, most churches are about 20. And so we need to share the gospel everywhere. And while I was there, I felt like what exile must feel like. Exile is when you're like this huge minority in a world where everyone's going in the other direction. And we're looking at Daniel. Daniel is a story of God's people in exile. They were living in the land. They were disobedient. God said, come back. They said, no. And God said, okay, I'm going to show you what life is like apart from me. And so they lose their spot in the land. They're brought to Babylon. And they're a minority of a minority group in a foreign land with a foreign king and foreign gods and foreign everything. And, and living in, oh, going to Croatia and being here makes you realize we're actually slipping in that direction. The United States is not going in the direction where more and more people are following Jesus. Actually, fewer and fewer are choosing to follow Jesus. And the culture is radically shifting, whereas the culture did have Jesus values for a long time. That's been thrown out and replaced with secularism as Ian was sharing last week, which just says, we make the rules. We don't need any God. We don't need any book. We make our own rules. Whatever is right and fitting to us is the way of life. That's where our culture is shifting. Now, this is not bad news. It's just news. 
The good news is God worked in Daniel in terrible times, and I want to suggest to you God wants to work here in our own troubling times. So this is not a, a time to be like, oh, no, the world's going to hell. No, a few people are going to hell, but a lot of people are going to go to heaven because we're going to stand up like Daniel, and we're going to share good news. Now, Daniel 4, we're going to read all of it, and it's the story of a vision. God gives a vision. Now, this is going to look very much like chapter 2. If you've been reading along, Daniel's 1, 2, 3, and 4 have one character in common, and it's Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 2, you see Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. You don't see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In chapter 3, you see Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, Daniel. And in chapter 4, we see Nebuchadnezzar. The first four chapters are about God at work in the king's life. And by the end of this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar is going to fall off the scene. And we're going to learn what God does from Nebuchadnezzar's point of view. This is really interesting. In the Bible, we have a letter from Nebuchadnezzar, the way it's written. Look, look at verse 1. Let's just read along. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in the earth, may you prosper greatly, like most kings. You know, just start with fluff, right? It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. We'll keep reading, but just pause for a second. Sometimes we think that God only speaks to church-going, Bible-believing people. Not true. God is speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, who follows many gods, many paths. You see, sometimes we forget when we're living like it seems like an exile. What does exile mean? Like you're the only student who's a Christian in your school. Exile means like you're the only Jesus-loving person in your job or in your neighborhood. You feel like you're the minority. And sometimes we get this false view that God's only speaking to me and people like me. No, God's speaking to the king. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, he, I was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, and I had a dream that made me afraid. In other words, God knows how to get in touch with people. And as I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind, they terrified me. So I commanded all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. And when the mag magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence. I told him the dream, and then little, little parentheses here. He was called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I love that we get these little nuances. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar is hearing from God, but he doesn't actually understand how God works. He doesn't have the whole thing in view. Uh, he's, he's like the spirit of the holy gods. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is working in Daniel's life. He doesn't get it. That doesn't mean God's not speaking to him. So this says something, I think, to all of us. When we're thinking about the world that we live in, people may not get all of who Jesus is, but doesn't mean that God's not getting through to them. They may be confused. They may have part of it right. They may have part of it wrong. But at least Nebuchadnezzar's open. This is so cool. He's open. He's hearing, and he's like, the spirit of the gods is, something's happening. And so even if people don't get it's Jesus in your life yet, do you know what? You just keep on keeping on, 
Because God over time will reveal with clarity what is cloudy right now. All right, verse 9. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians. That's so funny. He's actually like a, I'm going to call him a Jesus freak. You know, Daniel's like a, he's a God guy. He's like chief of the magicians. He didn't even get it. I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked. There before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew and uh, large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth, and its leaves were beautiful, fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under the tree, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. And in the visions, I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, come down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off all its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man to that of a, a, a mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now Belteshazzar, or Daniel, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men of my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Now, this is already a lot of stuff, and this is uh, intriguing. All we need to know now is God vividly gets something across to King Nebuchadnezzar that he doesn't understand. Now, if you look at it, the whole idea of a tree, in his lingo, Nebuchadnezzar knows where this is going, because trees even back then were the signs of life. And there's the gods of the trees. And this, so there's a tree in the middle, and it's huge, and everything stems from it. Now, in, in his day and in his mind, kings are from the gods, have the power of the gods. And so he's like, gosh, this is important. Tree, everything living under it, the fruit comes from it. He can kind of put two and two together, but the tree's cut down, which freaks him out. Why is he scared of the dream? The tree's cut down. So he's not sure, but he knows where this is going. All of that to say, God has a way of getting his will across to people, and he speaks their language. So maybe your friend doesn't have a vision of a tree, but they have a dream about their life, and it freaks them out, right? God has a way. Uh, look, at, look at what Daniel does here. This is key. Star this. Underline this. We're going to come back to it, but I just want to read it for now. Uh, verse uh, 19. Then... Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered, and here's when we know why this dream freaks Daniel out. My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. 
Then he's going to go on to explain it. Verse 20. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its, touch, its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to wild animals, having nesting places and its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are the tree. You become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. Your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty, you saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. King, this is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree from the Most High who has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people. And you're going to live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times is going to pass by for you until, and he gives an interpretation, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, and here's the punchline. Now he really interprets it. Therefore, majesty, be pleased. To accept my advice, renounce your sins by doing what's right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So Daniel is given by God exactly what the king needs. And I think when we think about this story, which is so unlike us living in Portland today, but so much like life in any generation at any time, is that you and I as Jesus followers, and write this down, we're called to speak the truth in love. What Daniel does is exactly what you and I are called to do as God followers, as Jesus followers. And I want us to catch this, because this is going to really make sense when you look at the headlines that are going on today, even in the state of Oregon, and all the things that we disagree with. Daniel pauses before he gives the interpretation. God gives him insight. In other words, you know where someone's going. You know that they're not following Jesus. And then you're given the open door. And it may be easy to slam someone for what they believe. Now, Daniel's got his shot. The king is saying, you have the spirit of God. I need you to tell me what to do. And I want us to notice the spirit with which Daniel speaks. He pauses. He is troubled. Now, why is he troubled? One, God has spoken against the king. Two, he's going to have to share what God said. By the way, Nebuchadnezzar kills people. Remember last week? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow down. What happens? They are thrown into the fire. So Daniel's being put in a position like you and I are being in a position, being put in a position where we have been given the truth of God and we're put in places of influence where at the right time you and I can speak up instead of being silent. And when you and I speak up, here's what we need to do. We need to take the same attitude like Daniel and let the message sink home to us first. 
The king is against the ways of God. But Daniel cares about the king. Oh, king! His heart is now like, ha, 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 ha. you threw my boys in the fiery furnace. You know that the fourth man was there. Now God's out to get you. No. He's like, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, I wish this were about someone else. But the, the, the dream, the dream's about you. You see, there's always going to be policy differences. Differences of opinion. Differences of worldview. But Daniel's interested in the person, not the policy. He's interested in the person. And the message breaks Daniel's heart first because he has to give the verdict of God. And notice what he says uh, at the end. Renounce your sins by doing what's right. <laughs> your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. Nebuchadnezzar, you're being given, you're being given a chance to repent. God's like speaking to you. There's hope. Even though the message doesn't have a lot of hope in it, other than that the tree will be restored. There's a chance. What Daniel says is you can do something about it. Maybe then your prosperity will continue. I think of the words of Jesus because I think they ring in line with Daniel chapter 4. Love your enemies, right? How do we, how do we live in this tense time where we love and follow Jesus in a culture that doesn't. We're called to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is where Daniel and Jesus are in complete alignment. One message throughout the whole book of the Bible is that yes, there are always enemies and people who are doing things against the work of God, but it's my responsibility, it's my privilege to love them by praying for them and not respond like them. You see, you can't control what people do to you, but you can and you should and I can and I should control my response. How do we respond to people who are unlike Jesus? You see, I can't control what they do and that's why I have to separate what we expect, and let me tell you, it's just because the Christian message has had such an influence in the culture and generations past. We expect people to live like Christians who don't follow Jesus. I expect that people are going to, of course, do what the Bible says, even though they don't believe in the Bible. And what you find in Daniel is he's not expecting the king to act like a follower of Yahweh because he doesn't follow Yahweh. So he's able to speak the truth the message of God, but with love. And friend, if we don't get that right, all we're going to be is noise instead of good news. And I want to be a person, I want us to be a church, and I want you to be a person who's filled with good news and not just noise. Majesty, please accept my advice. Renounce your sin. Now he calls him out. Oh, be kind to those you've oppressed. <laughs> uh, you keep stealing people from other countries. You keep taking their stuff. And you know what? God sees it. It's not right. But if you change your way and turn to the living God, blessing will come. So even in the middle of sharing bad news, there's good news. And that's the tension that we're in in our world right now. It would be easy to say God loves everybody and he wants to rescue everybody, and it's all good. Is that the good news? No. It's not. 
The good news is that God sees everything, especially our sin and rebellion, and as a just judge who always does what's right, he is going to condemn sin. That doesn't sound like very good news. That's the full news. The full news is that the world is broken because we are broken, and the world is going down because we are going down. But just like the word of hope, if we will turn to Jesus, he will set us free. So Daniel has a hard word to share with a good news ending, and I think it's the same thing for us. You can believe anything in our culture except that Jesus is the only way to life in God. Everyone is okay with Christians being charitable and kind and good and generous and benevolent and all that. All that's good. But the moment we say that, yeah, we do this because Jesus has set us free from our sin. Our what? I'm not sinning. It's a matter of opinion. Whoa, don't tell me there's a right and there's a wrong. Daniel, though, has this way of getting the message across. And I think God wants to teach us through humble examples like Daniel that there it's possible to actually speak the truth in love. See, our message is hard to share because it has a word that people don't want to hear, right? The good news is not something that people want to hear because it requires them to admit and us to admit that we're broken and we're sinful and we're rebellious and we need grace and we need mercy and we need Jesus. And that's just the good news. But then let's also deal with the topics that we're facing. So we are Christians and we love Jesus and we believe the Bible and we believe God's vision for the world. And guess what? Even if people won't follow him, we're living in a world where people who don't follow him are making choices that are contrary to everything we believe. So let's just think about the hot topics. Uh, topics like abortion and right to life. It's going on in our world, going on in our state. We're a leading state in the wrong direction. That everyone has a right to life except the unborn. Let's look at LGBTQ. And how do we live in a world that we say in our state, it's okay for anyone to get married to anyone under any terms, and you can't say that there's one vision for sexuality, a man and a woman for life. You can't say that. Actually, we can. How do we navigate and love people? How do we love the king and deliver hard news? We have the issues of the environment. How do we deal with poverty? How do we deal with immigration? All of these are like real issues. You and I are trying to wrestle with with the message of Jesus and what you get from Daniel and what you get from Jesus himself is that they're able to navigate the truth of God with caring about the person. Jesus interfaced with all sorts of broken, sinful people. He, he's accused of being a drunkard because he goes to parties. Jesus is in the middle of vile situations. He's, he's, he's um, they say against him that he, he's around prostitutes. What, what if that were said about me? Jose hangs out with prostitutes, you fire me. But Jesus is in settings where people are really broken and he has words of hope. Jesus doesn't gloss over people's rebellion. He didn't gloss over their sinfulness. He's with them and around them to redeem it. So he says, the woman caught in the middle of adultery. She's like, yeah, I did it. All right. 
Go, you're set free. Don't continue. So Jesus is not soft on the truth. But I want you to see from Daniel, I want you to see from Jesus that the care and concern is for Nebuchadnezzar. And I wonder, and this is what I wonder, and you have to judge it for yourself, I wonder if we're more concerned about the issue than the people. I wonder if we're more concerned about being right than being helpful. I wonder if our approach is all about our victory rather than people being redeemed from a life that is far from God. You see, as long as it's the policy and not the person, we've missed the heart of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have a word to speak. Daniel speaks the truth, and his life is on the line. Like, he's literally putting his life in his hands by telling the king, you're about to be removed. And so sometimes we have a hard word to share, but it seems to me like Daniel cares about his pagan boss. And so I just wonder, in our trying to follow Jesus, in our very broken and confusing world, if we'll be like him. I wonder if our heart breaks. I wonder if we'll be quick to listen and slow to speak because we let our heart be broken by the message first rather than just flipping off whatever we think is true. And I don't know where that sits with you. Now, how does this end? How, how, do we, how does Nebuchadnezzar take the news? What, does he repent? Well, what do we see? Look, look at verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the palace of Babylon, he said, is not this great Babylon I've built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven which was decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass by until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Again, this, is, this word that was spoken comes to pass. This is going to happen until... It's not a final verdict. The king, you need to know who's in charge. Immediately, verse 33, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people. He ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And that's just gross. I'm just throwing it out there. That's just gross. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, interestingly enough, had 12 months to change. I want you to hear this. The word is given through Daniel, and God in his grace gives the king a full year. God is patient, and he's slow in anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, and we want God to slam people now for the way that they live, and God's like, you're not that good of a father. You're not that good of a mother, because if this were your child, how patient are we with other people Versus how patient are we with our own kids? I want you to think about this. you got to envision that your boss, what if your boss or your child, your cousin, your niece, your nephew, your brother, your sister. You see, God is patient. He gives him 12 months to repent. Now, he doesn't. So what does God do? God is 
love and justice, which seems like oil and water, and it's not. He's love. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He's just. He always does what's right. They're not contradictions. They're just beautiful realities of the nature of God in his world. And so he shows love to warn Nebuchadnezzar, and he's just because Nebuchadnezzar doesn't listen. What does this teach us? Uh, we're supposed to love people, right? Second thing I think this teaches us here is we, you and me, we can be like Nebuchadnezzar and we can be driven by pride. We can be driven by pride. Nebuchadnezzar has moments to repent and he doesn't. He says, look at me. Look at what I did. And in this world that we live in, in this broken world that we live in, let's just not point the finger at other people and Nebuchadnezzar's in our world, our bosses or politicians or other people and say, look at them, 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 look at them. I would say, let's start with me. What's driving me? As I stand up for the truth and try to speak the truth of God, what's motivating me? What's motivating you? And God exposes what's in Nebuchadnezzar's heart, just like he wants to expose what's in my heart. Where is pride driving me to do the wrong things? Where is pride keeping me from serving you? Now, this just doesn't happen just out there. It happens in here. It could happen in a church. I mean, I think about my own life. I, I'm thrilled about what God's doing here. And the more I share the story of what God's doing through you and through this church, man, I have every bit of temptation to suggest that I did it. I was here from the beginning. And so there are, even in the church, you know, it's possible for churches to be filled with pride. Look at what's happening here. Oh, I go here. Where do you go? Oh, oh I've heard some things about that church. Yeah. It's, it's possible in every dimension of life, even though we love Jesus, to be led by pride. And I just wonder, especially, these are two parallel things that are happening in Daniel 4. He's called to speak the truth in love, but also Daniel's approach is the opposite of Nebuchadnezzar's. And Daniel is humble, even as speaking, while Nebuchadnezzar is filled with pride. And I wonder which one we're more like in the real world. It's easy to say a name. Well, of course I'm more like Daniel. But if you think of your own decisions, if you think of your own attitudes, if you think of the way you speak, if you think of the way you treat people, are we motivated by a humble, thankful heart? Everything I have has been given to me by God. And even the skills that I have aren't mine. They're his. And the position I've been given isn't mine, it's his. And even all that I've accomplished, it's actually not mine, it's his. And there you have the contrast. And Daniel is seen as the man of God because he's humble and he speaks the truth in love and he's concerned about Nebuchadnezzar while Nebuchadnezzar is filled with himself. And you see that his downfall is great. Now, is pride the end of the story? No. Look at verse 34. At the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. So this is his testimony. I raised my eyes towards heaven. And my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. 
And then this is what he speaks of God. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now this is slightly frustrating. Because we want God to replace Nebuchadnezzar with Daniel. Let's not kid ourselves. We want Nebuchadnezzar gone. <laughs> look, look at him. Look at. We're so quick to gloat when someone falls, aren't we? Just makes us feel slightly better about ourselves. Look at what they did and look at how they were caught. All the while not realizing if it weren't for the grace of Jesus, you and I would be exposed as well. All, like 100%. I do it all the time. I'm not just talking about it. I'm quick to say, I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe. And I think God, if I'm willing to be silent enough, says, kid, I should squash you too. But by my grace, I don't. I'm giving you another chance. Why don't you just live grateful? Verse 36, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor will return to me for the glory of my king." For the glory of my kingdom, my advisors and nobles sought me out. I restored my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right. All his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And this is, he actually gets it in the end. Nebuchadnezzar, the kings, were brought up to believe they were gods. And God teaches him, no, you're not a God. And if you walk in pride, there's one who's able to humble you. Now, this isn't the way we want it to end, though. This is like a plot twist. Because like I said, it would be much better if there were a Christian this and a Christian that. Man, my, my, my company would be better if we had a Christian boss. And this country would be better if we had a... Christian, more Christian leadership, and our state would be better, and the banking would be better, and everything would be better if Jesus' followers were in leadership positions, and that's our utopian dream. Replace everyone that's currently there with Christians. And here's what God says, no. I don't need my followers to be in every position of authority. I'm God. And I can work through anybody. And in the end, he works through Nebuchadnezzar, who, hear me, in his own way is evil. Yet God is able to accomplish his purposes. And this teaches us something that we should never forget. God is in control of everything. Now, he's not doing everything. Nebuchadnezzar is doing evil, not God. But God rules over, and God steps in, and God speaks, so that even Nebuchadnezzar could say at the end, Yahweh does everything that's right. Those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Now, what does this say to us? To recap, we, you and I, are called to speak the truth in love. That's our mission. We're to know the truth, and we're to be able to distinguish, discern things that are not true, and in the marketplace, I am not suggesting as Jesus followers we're supposed to sit and be silent. No, we're called to speak God's words in love appropriately. You never see Daniel 
slamming the king who's in authority over him. You see him humbly saying, please repent, please repent. There's a relationship there. There's respect there. There's trust there. So the king could go to Daniel because he knows he's going to get a good word and a true word, even if it hurts. And I wonder if we're trying to be the people like that. Well, we have integrity of heart, and we're not perfect, but people know we care about them. You're going to have to choose. Are you going to have to be right on policy, or are you going to care about people? And I would love to say you can have both, but you're going to have to choose because there are going to be people who disagree with your policy. And we're going to have to choose to love them or simply yell because they disagree. I say, let's be like Daniel, let's speak the truth of love, and then let's, let's put away pride. There's only one true king. And this is a word that's often quoted again in the New Testament. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. I think in Philippians 2, let your attitude be the same as Jesus Christ, who in himself had equality with God, but he didn't even consider that something to be grasped. But he humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself and took on the nature of a servant and was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And then here at the end, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place. There's no other name like Jesus, but it comes in his humiliation. Why did Jesus take the humble road? Because he wanted to save people like us. The means of Jesus is part of the message of Jesus. Jesus his coming down, his sitting with sinners, his eating with tax collectors, his loving people, his speaking the truth with words of love, his being accepted by those who were far from God because they saw that he cared, whereas the Pharisees and Sadducees, all they cared about, hear me, all they cared about was being right. So the religious leaders want to be right, and Jesus wants to save. So Jesus never compromises the truth, but he always does it in love. And I just wonder, I wonder if we want that. I wonder if we want that. Maybe it's time to evaluate our own lives and to see where pride is keeping us from fulfilling our calling and humble ourselves and receive mercy and grace from Jesus. We're to put away our pride. Why don't you stand on your feet because we want to respond with worship and singing. And I'm going to invite you now to examine your own heart. We're going to go to the table in a little bit. We're going to go to the bread. We're going to go to the cup. We're going to remember the humiliation of Jesus who could command 10,000 angels to destroy everybody and he doesn't. No one takes my life. I give it freely. And I wonder if in our following of Jesus, if we've counted that cost, if we've asked God to give us the heart of love so that we could love people and love them until they hear the message and God deals with them. Daniel doesn't convince the king. God convinces the king. Daniel's just a messenger just like us. Lord, we confess that sometimes we've put 
truth over love, policy over people, and being right over being good. And so God, we come back to you. Lord, we want you to reshape our heart. We want you to reclaim what's already yours. We want you to teach us your way, Lord Jesus. And so we turn to you. We worship you. God, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for all that you are. Lord, we we repent from laying claim to all that we have. We repent from making the world about us, from making our schedule about us and our priorities about us. And Lord, we turn back to you. Lord, the Holy Spirit, come now and shape us and mold us and convict us and encourage us and guide us and lead us, we pray, so that we will follow you all the days of our life. And at the end of our days, people will be in love with you because we were there. Like Daniel, we were part of the message being shared. We pray these things, Jesus, because we know we want you want to do them in our life. We invite you to do them now. Jesus' name. Amen. I I pray that your heart is touched and that this time of worship will be an opportunity for you to repent of areas where we've been off and receive grace. Both. We repent, but we receive grace and mercy to live the way of Jesus this week. Let's worship and let's, uh, let's sing.